Welcome to In the Clubhouse, a podcast about the Washington Nationals and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Richard. In this episode, I talk with Byron Kerr, who used to cover the Washington Nationals for Madison Sports Washington. During our conversation, we talked about the recent signing of left-hand pitcher and closer Brad Hand and the Nationals' latest catcher acquisition, Alex Avelia, and also some other great topics. I hope you enjoy this episode, so let's go in the clubhouse. Hi, Byron. Thanks for joining me, and welcome to In the Clubhouse. Hey, thanks, Richard. It's good to be on your podcast. Thanks. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, recently the Washington Nationals uh, signed a left-handed pitcher, Brad Hand, for a one-year contract. Um, and then also recently they signed um, the catch- a catcher, Alex Avelia. So I kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts on the two signings. Yeah, I mean, Brad Hand was one of those coveted relievers that a lot of teams were looking to sign in the offseason. And when you look at what happened last year with the Nationals bullpen, you know, they really were hoping to be able to find a left-hander to kind of replace what Sean Doolittle was supposed to do. Unfortunately, Doolittle, you know, got injured and it didn't work out uh, the way they had. But that's the kind of balance that Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez wants is they like the right-handers and left-handers in the bullpen. And you know, Hand has been absolutely impressive the last few years coming out of the bullpen. He started as a starter and, uh, you know, pitched really well with the Cleveland Indians and listening to him on the Zoom call, he's very excited about being a national. So when you have Daniel Hudson and you have Tanner Rainey and you have Will Harris going with him, um, you know, the, uh, the, the old adage is bullpen by committee. You know, will there be a particular closer or will Davey Martinez be able to kind of mix and match? And I think that's the way he likes to do it. So it's just a, a great signing for them because several teams wanted Brad Hand uh, as a reliever. And for Mike Rizzo to pull it off, that's a that's a big deal. What do you think was the deciding factor uh, for Brad, you know, taking the Nationals if he had like multiple suitors? Yeah, I mean, I think he looks around the clubhouse and he understands uh, that this team is is built to win. It's not built to just hang on. It's not built to just try to make it through the season. Uh, he uh, he sees that, you know, the proof is in the pudding after 2019 that Mike Rizzo and the Lerner family is trying to build a winner each year. And so once they won the World Series, you know, a lot of guys like Kyle Schwarber and Brad Hand, uh, you know, look to the Nationals as a legitimate postseason contender and I think you know he had a lot of options maybe could have made money more money in other places but uh, you know he likes the feel that the Nationals have it's what the Indians have tried to do they made it to the World Series they were trying you know he arrived in 2018 though after they made it the World Series so he's obviously hungry to make it back to the postseason and you know he I asked him a question about Jan Gomes he said that you know he has a good relationship with Jan he uh, texted him after he found out that he was going to sign with the Nats so that's a good thing for me to see too, is that Brad Hand and Gomes already have a relationship and he always, you know, likes to throw to him. So that that's a good thing. And I, I think those are those are the number one and number two factors as to why he decided to come to the Nats. As Nats fans, it's kind of nice to finally have that back of that bullpen a little bit more solidified than uh, in previous years. It was always, uh, you know, hang on to your hats type of situation. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it was scary, you know, especially the beginning of, of 2019 when, you know, it just didn't work out for a lot of the guys that were in the bullpen. And, you know, those were uh, like Kyle Bearclaw. Those were guys that, um, you know, Trevor Rosenthal, those were guys that Mike Rizzo trusted and had track records as to being good. So, you know, there's no guarantee, Richard, that these guys are all going to be able to pull it off, right? I mean, Will Harris did not have a great 2020. Daniel Hudson got hit a couple of times. Um, Brad Hand was outstanding in 2020, uh, which, uh, you know, I feel like was difficult to do considering all the protocols and everything they had to do. So anytime you see someone who has been successful uh, in that season last year, I, I, I give them a hat tip. So, yeah, on paper, absolutely, this is a strong-looking uh, bullpen. You know, Kyle Finnegan also did a really nice job. They had a couple of younger guys that came in that uh, might get an opportunity. You know, they still have some confidence in Wander Suero as long as he uses some particular pitches and not others. Um, so if you look at it on paper and you look at some track records of these guys compared to where they were uh, for a few years where you're right, that was a weakness for this team. Uh, if they could go into 2021 with these guys set and then, you know, expecting a healthy Steven Strasburg back and then getting John Lester, I mean, that's the backbone of this team. That's what Mike Rizzo likes to build is build from defense and build from pitching. So the other team doesn't score many runs and it gives you more chances to win games. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to shift a little bit of uh, focus to this, the signing of catcher Alex Avelia. Um, during the last press conference in 2020, Davey mentioned that, he, that, you know, the team was looking to find a backup catcher to Jan Gomes and kind of platoon the two. Um, first, I want to he- ask your impressions of the signing. And secondly, do you think Rizzo is making the right move here? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the, the sexy picks, you know, people wanted JT Riomuto, somebody like that. Um, you know, there were other guys out there that they that they were looking at. But um, considering the veterans that were available and, uh, you know, how the free agent market looked uh, at this time, you know, Avila is a really, really good uh, option for them. He's a left-handed batting catcher. Uh, he has great defensive numbers. He's got a 16.2 career war. Uh, he has experience uh, with the Tigers for many, many seasons. Um, and then he was in the National League with the with the Diamondbacks and then went back to Minnesota last year. Uh, he has experience with Max Scherzer in Detroit. Scherzer even recommended to Mike Rizzo when they were talking about Avila that this could be a guy that they could select. And sure, they would love to have a Rowdy Reed or a Trace Barrera or a Jackson Reeds or some of these younger guys, you know, be that next catcher, Richard, but those guys just maybe aren't quite ready yet. And Rizzo is not willing to give the confidence to those guys. And we may see Barrera, we may see some of these guys as the season progresses, but he likes the idea of going into the season with a Kurt Suzuki and a Jan Gomes, with an Alex Avila and a Jan Gomes, because he does not want uh, Gomes to have to, you know, to, to catch too much. He's getting a little bit older as well as a veteran. And the fact that Avila is a left-handed bat really helps out Davey Martinez as he sets his lineup. Um, mm. You know, the, Suzuki's defensive skills were not that great. So they're hoping that maybe Avila's defensive skills, his ability to throw to second base will, uh, you know, ability to block bad pitches will help this team defensively. Something that they would like to improve on uh, is their catching on defense. What what do you think of all these one year contracts that uh, that have been made this year? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a state of the times, right? We don't even know. I mean, we're, we've had uh, stories coming out where Major League Baseball and the Players Association are going back on how many games they're going to play. They say they're going to pay them full salaries. But, you know, they went back and forth like this at the mm-hmm. beginning of the COVID pandemic last year in March. And it got away from them, right? The, the Players Association and, and Major League Baseball. And I think until the collective bargaining agreement comes to fruition next year, uh, yeah, you're going to see a one-year contract up until that agreement is set. And then maybe you'll see some guys get some longer agreements. But I think the players themselves want the freedom of a one-year deal. And so does ownership. Because with COVID, with the vaccine situation, it's still up in the air as to whether, you know, whether, uh, uh, sorry, when we might go back to a normal you know, type situation where fans are allowed to come to the games and, you know, media are allowed to to talk to the players in front of our lockers or in the club, but we're not even allowed to go in the clubhouse. We're not even allowed to go on the field. Um, so until the, the more normal major league baseball comes back, I think you'll see those shorter deals. Um, what you want to call it? What are your overall impre- thoughts and impressions of, you know, the signings that Mike has, Mike Rizzo did this year. And then which of the signings were you most surprised to see? Yeah, I mean, you can see the plan he has. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, a DJ LeMahieu or some of these higher profile names are guys that they're interested in. But, you know, he went out and looked for needs. I mean, Josh Bell is, an, is a switch hitting first baseman that will be outstanding. Ryan Zimmerman will back him up. That is set. You still have a question mark at third base. Carter Keboom is the incumbent right now. But you have Josh Harrison still back. Uh you know, you have guys like Kyle Schwarber in the outfield. That's why they moved Soto to right field. They want Schwarber's big bat. They needed to add some power, Richard, to this lineup. And the additions of Schwarber and Bell seem to answer that question for him. They took care of the catcher with a backup in Alex Avila. But I think, um, you know, for me, the Brad Hands uh, signing was the biggest one that I liked the most because he was one of those top five coveted relievers. You know, he was one of those that, that everybody wanted. And, you know, Rizzo works the phones. He has relationships with every general manager in the league. He talks to these guys. Then he talks to the learners about how much money they want to spend, and they go back and forth. Um, You know, I still think maybe they might try to, you know, look for an infielder possibility. You know, I don't know their confidence level in Carter Keboom. They keep coming to us and saying that they are confident in the third baseman, that he will be able to turn it around. But they understand from from his track record that you know he is not going to be an Anthony Rendon as far his power right now as far and that's something that they need from that position. So that could be a weakness going forward. That's why they try to protect that with getting the Bells and the Schwabers out there. But I love the signing of Brad Hand. I thought that was the, the, the most impressive as far as offseason. As as you said from the outset, this solidifies uh, their bullpen. And he was coveted by several teams. So that was a good one to grab. Which uh, new uh, signing are you most excited to see on a more daily basis? Boy, if I could go into the clubhouse like we used to, Richard, and be able to talk to these guys on a day-to-day basis, I mean, it would be fun to share war stories with Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. You know, you saw probably uh, on Twitter, on social media, Schwarber and John Lester uh, hugging each other after they won the World Series. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine how much fun Richard will be talk to John Lester and hear all of his stories? He's been to winning three World Series, you know, five All-Stars. He's done it all in his career. And, you know, you wonder, 
uh, will he be able to continue to be successful? You know, I think it kind of takes the pressure off uh, him a little bit that he's the fourth starter. And similar to what I wrote about Steven Strasburg in the last few years, how he kind of reinvented himself away from the fastball a little bit, started using his curveball a lot more, starting using his changeup. That's what Lester's using. Uh, he's using his changeup a lot more. So I'm always fascinated by these guys that take the cerebral approach to pitching and they figure out, you know, a more um, a more cerebral way to get guys out, you know, like uh, like playing chess or something like that, a different way to try to beat guys. And that's what would be fun to be able to talk to all these new guys and see what they can do. And, you know, guys like Kyle Finnegan, who I haven't been able to, to talk to one on one, you know, you want to hear about those guys. The pitchers, Richard, are always the most fun for me to talk to because, you know, most of them don't have to pitch every day. They don't have the pressure of the day-to-day uh, of the um, position players have. So a lot of times they'll let their hair down a little bit and tell you some some really cool stories about how they got to where they are and how they, you know, how they get ready for each time they pitch and what pitches they use. That's the kind of stuff that's fun to talk to, and, and uh, that's what I miss and it would be fun, hopefully, when we all get vaccinated and <laughs> we can go back to talking to them face-to-face yeah let's hope that uh that happens sooner rather than later um i just wanted to just briefly talk about um masson so here's the dilemma you know obviously masson has exclusive rights on tv and for many washington nationals fans um you know back to the days before the nats arrived um our fan you know the fan base was you know really held angelos responsible for no baseball in washington so i kind of wanted to feel did you ever feel that tension um you know with the fans like your interaction you know you know as a reporter for the you know for the for the for the website i mean i don't remember you know it being that palpable i can i would read about it on social media and um you know every once in a while you would get a fan come up and say hey why don't we have this why don't we have that um but just for my day-to-days and the website and when i you know did the pre-game and post-game shows i didn't feel it uh directly uh richard but i can understand and empathize with what fans want you know and and especially in this day and age um you know you want the coverage to be uh, wall to wall. You want it to be, you know, with pregames and postgame shows, you want it to be uh, thorough. And, uh, you know, there's an opportunity out there for, for, uh, you know, other entities, I guess, to come in and do that. But because of the situation, as you mentioned, because uh, Major League Baseball had to negotiate with the Angeles family, because this was their territory, you know, um, before the Nationals arrived, you know, they had to make a deal as far as that, that, uh, flagship station Masson was set and so the deal was that obviously that the Angelos get most of the broadcast profits uh, for for running the games on Masson so you know that probably makes some fans uncomfortable in feeling like that maybe that the network is not their own um, but that's the deal right now and until it has changed so that's the way it is and and you know to to be able to access the games you got to you got to watch them, you know, through mass. And, you know, I, I, uh, I, you see uh, similar things happen around the nation. Like, you know, I grew up in Colorado. My dad was in the Air Force, and I kind of watch a lot of Colorado sports. And they have a network called Altitude out there in Denver. And, you know, fans cannot watch the Nuggets or the Avalanche because Altitude has a negotiation issue with uh, uh, Comcast out there. So, you know, a, a lot of different cities have situations where 
of you know the negotiations behind the scenes as far as broadcast rights can affect whether or not you get to see your team or how much you get to see your team. And so I can definitely empathize with that predicament here in D.C. I want to re- do a Nats Rewind uh, a little bit to 2019 and just kind of get your you know, general impressions, your, you know, like the feeling of covering the team and, you know, obviously with the culmination of the World Series win, like, you know, what were you, you know, like, what was like going through your head through the whole entire season? Yeah, I mean, the way that it started out, obviously, um, there was a lot of concern that the amount of talent that team had in the clubhouse, you know, was not showing on the field because early on, the they couldn't get out of their own way. The, the bullpen was a mess, and they, they struggled at the beginning. Um, but because Mike Rizzo had done such a nice job of mixing veterans with the young guys, especially with a Juan Soto and a Victor Robles coming up, you know, you could you could sense that they were playing under their ability, I guess, and that they could turn it around. And I and I think that that was part of the belief in the clubhouse that they. You know, a lot of those guys had been through that situation before. And, you know, covering the team, I had been there for the heartbreaks against the Giants and the St. Louis Cardinals and even the L.A. Dodgers and the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. And so I had seen them fall short. And, you know, a few of those guys were on those teams and they remember those moments. So when they broke through and started to win games in must-win situations, when they beat the Brewers that night, that was something that, you know, you know, will go down in history for Nats Park because finally, you know, the the fans of the Nationals had been rewarded for all, you know, the potential, I guess, that this team had. And they finally broke through against Milwaukee. And it really, it seems like after that, that, um, you know, they, they played a little bit more comfortable and they weren't afraid of, of a moment, of a final out, of a final strike or, you know, last at bats they they were pretty cool customers after they beat the brewers in that wild card game and then after that they started to to really get on a roll and you know the one thing that uh, you feel probably as a nets fan is not being able to see them win a world series game at home that was tough that weekend when they lost those three and then obviously just as dramatic when they went to houston and, and won uh, those uh those two games there and the last game seven i was actually at nats park covering it from that standpoint. So I got to really kind of feel what a lot of Nats fans felt on that game seven night and that on that rainy October night and jump out of the dugout and look at the crowd just going crazy and what they're 1,500 miles away from Houston, but they are loving what they were able to see. And, uh, you know, that was, that's something that I'll never forget. That was a, that was a special, special season. And, you know, they got clutch hit after clutch hit, whether it was Juan Soto, Howie Kendrick or Anthony Rendon, Clutch pitching from Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corman, Max Scherzer, and obviously Daniel Hudson getting the final out. I mean, it was a great moment for DC sports and for them to be able to break through and finally win it. Uh, yeah, it was it was great. One of my one of my uh, funny moments uh, during that was, you know, in the clubhouse after the after when they think that they're going to clinch, there's a potential clinch, and they get closer and closer, you know, to to winning. Like, for instance, when they beat the St. Louis Cardinals, obviously at Nats Park, they put this, I guess, um, plastic tarp all over the, the carpeting, right? Because mm-hmm. there's going to be champagne and, and Budweiser flying everywhere. And they cover all the lockers. And what they do is they get to celebrate for a little while, the players, coaches, and staff. And then they allow the media in. And when we got to go in, there's there's champagne and 
beer all over the floor. So this tarp is, um, you know, like a garbage can uh, uh, liner type of material, and it's very slippery. <laughs> so I, I were running around trying to get interviews with all the guys, and everybody's spraying everybody. Everybody's got their ski goggles on. And I see Steven Strasberg at his locker, and I say, oh, wow, no one's talking to Steven Strasberg. So I kind of run towards his locker, and I try to put on the brakes, and I slip. And oh, I no. Fall <laughs> right into him, like slide into him and, and brushed his leg a little bit. He's like, are you okay? And he helps me up. I was so embarrassed and, you know, uh, I'm glad, you know, that was my joke with all the media members was like, well, at least you didn't take out the world series MVP before you got a chance to pitch, you know? So those are, <laughs> those are some moments that I'll, I'll never forget, uh, from that run. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's special for the fans and that's what hurts so much now, Richard is, is, was watching the games from the press box last year and seeing some big hits or some huge moments. And, you know, all you hear is the dugout. All you hear is the players and the coaches screaming when the Nats get a big hit and to not have the 43,000 fans there, not have them get the opportunity to celebrate, uh, watch the, watch the pennant go up with the world series banner on it. You know, that's something that I, you know, it's not the same without the fans and, 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 and that is holds true. So that's, you know, baseball is, Baseball is a game that's obviously watching the players play, but without the fans, it's a whole different deal. And then, and, you know, I can't wait for that to change. Yeah, I was at Nats Park for Game Seven of the okay. World Series. You might have, you might, it was, it was definitely a great night. Um, I, then I, uh, my last question, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, so for 2021, like, which player are you most looking forward to seeing um, this year, and why? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, it's always so much fun to watch what Juan Soto can do from year to year. And, you know, I think the sky's the limit with him. And, you know, I was talking to Gary Thurman, who's the outfield coordinator. And, you know, I was saying, hey, you know, he's he's this once-in-a-lifetime player. and He's reaching his potential and he's, get, you know, or something like that. And, and Gary said, no, 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 he's not even close to where he could be. So you know, instead of it being a newcomer, instead of it being someone that a lot of guys know about, I, you know, I can't wait to see Juan Soto play again and, you know, watch him in right field now and see how he does. Uh, because if he has some protection, Richard, if he has, you know, a Kyle Schwarber or a Josh Bell or somebody around him protecting him where he can actually get some pitches that are in the strike zone, yeah. uh, it's going to be really scary for pitchers. So yeah, it's, you know, I, uh, developed a nice relationship with his family over the years and, and, uh, you know, it's nice to, to see him go from where he was. And, and maybe to a lot of Nats fans, it seems like it was pretty quick how quickly he was able to go up uh, into the majors. But, you know, you you can understand uh, what a special player he is uh, uh, when you watch him play. And so it's, it's always going to be fun to watch him play again this year. Awesome. I, I've been asking that question to a lot of different players, uh, <laughs> and they all give me the same answer. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So- Juan Soto. I mean, I love watching him. He seems like a really good guy. I actually, um, during one of the fan fests, got a chance to like take a picture with him. Oh, good. The year before, like the 2018 fair, fan fest for 2019. So I kind of feel maybe I'm like his good luck charm or there something. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a good he's a great uh, player. And and to your point, it's so much fun to watch his at bats because yeah, you know. I was trying to say Queen's Gambit earlier. It's like, uh, you know, he, you can see him working 
He's, he's playing mind games with the pitcher. He's talking to the catcher. He's trying to get any intel he can on that side. He, you know, any pitch that's um, a garbage pitch that the pitcher's trying to get him to swing at, he doesn't swing at. And then if he needs to protect himself, he knows how to protect himself until he finally gets <laughs> to the point where, you know, the pitcher's like, all right, here. And then he just <laughs> brushes it. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's an event. Anytime Juan Soto has an at-bat, it's an event. It's not just one or two pitches. It's usually six or seven. And it's, you know, it's just so much fun to watch him play baseball. Do you think the learners are going to lock him up long-term? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's something that they're even talking about right now, even when they went to arbitration and they, they had this deal in place for him next year, that those talks have already started. So uh, I would say, you know, absolutely. That's good news for all everybody. Um, so Brian, 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 oh, sorry. I want to thank you so much for taking the time this morning um, to talk to me. Um, where can people find you uh, on, you know, Twitter and the social media and then also a website or something? Yeah, thank you. Um, my, uh, my Twitter is now just Byron Kerr, uh, one word, and the website is byronkerrsports.com. And I still had a lot of stories that I hadn't written yet. So um I'm going to try to throw those up, but I'm, you know, looking into things like this podcast, looking into possibilities of, of finding a day-to-day uh, job, will, you know, uh, with, you know, covering the Nats. So that's uh, what I'm looking forward to, but you can find me uh, also Byron Kerr Sports Instagram as well. And um, uh, hope you guys can reach out and leave some comments and uh, it'd be exciting to get ready for baseball. Hopefully they'll have a season and everything will be good for 2021 for everybody and stay safe and stay healthy. Awesome. And we'll put links to all that stuff in our show notes for this episode. So thank you so much for taking the time and keep safe, keep healthy and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, Richard. Bye-bye. And this will do it for this episode of In the Clubhouse. If you like this episode, please make sure to like, review and rate this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And you can follow us on all the major social media channels at the Nats Report. Well,